Welcome to the Finance Cafe podcast, the business podcast for women entrepreneurs that breaks through the money taboo and explores what's behind the numbers. Join your hosts, Shannon Peston and Shauna Frederick every week as they dive into conversations about business and finance with women entrepreneurs and the experts that support them to answer all those questions you have about the numbers and maybe some you haven't even thought of yet. With their combined experience in business, finance, and accounting, Shannon and Shauna know that financial management is more than just understanding the numbers, but understanding how our unique lived experiences, knowledge, thoughts, and behaviors around money shape the financial decisions we make in our companies. Here on the Finance Cafe podcast, presented by Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, we're changing the way we talk about business and finance, empowering women entrepreneurs to see their business in a new light one conversation at a time. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Frederick, and today I am excited to be joined by Kyla Isabel. Kyla, thank you so much for joining us today. You are very welcome, Shauna. Pleasure's all mine. So, Kayla, today we're going to get into a conversation on the top five indicators that your business is ready to go global. Now, in season two of the Finance Cafe podcast, my co-host Shannon had the opportunity to sit down with Jen Cook, Director of Inclusive Trade at EDC, to really get us started on this conversation of exporting as a path to growing your business. So I'm super excited to get into our conversation today. But before we do that, let's talk about you, which I know we all love doing. So why don't you share with our listeners, Kyla, who is Kyla? What do you do? And why do you love doing what you're doing? Amazing. So super happy to be here to talk all things entrepreneurship. That is what I do all day. Um, I'm the CEO of an organization called Startup Canada. We essentially help entrepreneurs across the country navigate existing supports to really help them start thriving businesses. Um, So think any industry, any corner of the country, you can come to Startup Canada and we'll help you get connected to the right support organization um, that can help you really set yourself up on a solid foundation. My passion for entrepreneurship has been long. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I am very entrepreneurial myself, and I'm passionate about supporting other people's ventures, uh, not necessarily starting my own. But just seeing the incredible ideas that come, especially out of Canada, uh, we are solving some of the world's most pressing challenges. We have founders building incredible products, exporting, which we'll obviously be talking about today. So what keeps me going is seeing the variety of these businesses, the passion, the resilience, the grit, and just the incredible energy that Canada's entrepreneurship system has. It's it's really an unbelievable community to be a part of. Amazing, Kyla. And I do know a little bit about your background but coming from an entrepreneurial family, but I mean, you have an amazing bio, which we are going to put in our show notes, but I just want people to be aware that you've been recognized for a number of awards. Most recently, 2023 Globe and Mail Changemaker. Like, wow. That was a fun one. That was a good one. (laughs) 2023 Businesswoman of the Year finalist for Enterprise Leader and 2022 Top 40 Under 40 by the Ottawa Business Journal. So amazing. Kudos to you. And there's a ton more, all of which we will uh, which we will have in the show notes. But just going to show the expertise, the wisdom, and just the, uh, the knowledge that you're bringing to the table today. So thank you again for joining us. I'm excited to dive in. Bet, Shana. 
So let's start with sort of why we are having this conversation. So we're going to get into the top five indicators uh, that your business is ready to go global. But let's even start with some of the uh, stats that we've seen, because you've worked with Startup Canada for quite some time, starting as executive director in March of 2020 before we all know what happened in March of 2020, and now the CEO. (laughs) What was really interesting to me with some of the stats that you were sharing is that the founders that Startup Global Program is supporting are from a wide range of industries, whereas a lot of people think exporters and you know Startup Canada is going to support a lot of tech industries. So what sort of uh, industries are you seeing come through Startup Canada? That is such a great question, Shauna. And, and it's such a, de- a balance of the community that we see at Startup Canada versus those that are actually also successfully exporting because those are very different audiences. We have a program called Startup Global. It's one of our flagship programs. And this is intending to bring early stage founders that are just thinking about um, exporting, getting them connected to the right export ecosystem. So think folks like Export Development Canada and Jen's incredible team, the Trade Commissioner Service, um, private sector folks like UPS, um, all of these different support organizations that have this this, um, incredible subject matter expertise and, and resources. So because we have this sort of anybody is welcome to come and learn about exporting approach, we see a very diverse community coming into that program. So we see industries across the board, lots of retail, healthcare, um, clean tech, arts and technologies, AI, information tech, um, really a wide variety of, of different types of businesses. And that actually changes every year. We see you know, the number one type of industry shift from biotech in 2021 to retail trade this year. So we see an evolution in the exporting community. We also see founders coming from a wider range of demographics than what you would see if you just look at Canada's export community. If you were to look at the big numbers, you would see very few women exporting. You would see very few Black founders, Indigenous founders, um, underrepresented folks um, successfully scaling and exporting. Whereas in our program, we have about 45% uh, representation by underrepresented folks and half of the program are women. So two different sort of categories, but this is encouraging to me because we see the appetite the interest, and really solid businesses coming into the program that if we can get them connected to the right support organization, then we can see them grow and succeed um, and be able to ultimately scale their businesses. So while I still want to see all of those macro numbers improve from a Canadian context and really see um, Canadian founders on that global stage, we have a promising pipeline of lots of export aspiring founders that are coming from rural Canada, you know, urban centers, downtown Toronto and everything in between. So that's definitely been a promising part of this program. We also see a wide variety of of size of business. So we support founders that are in their earlier stage. So most are under 10 employees, about 70 or 80% of the program participants. Um, So this also shows they've got a lot of room to grow in hiring employees across this export journey. Um, And then that obviously creates jobs in Canada that brings additional revenue and and economic horsepower into those conversations. And they're often going to the United States first. 75% are going down south. uh, And then they're looking at the UK, Australia, France, and Germany. So we also see those stats sort of shift year over year. Um, But lots of great data as well coming from this program. Amazing. And what I love to see about what Startup Canada is doing, especially when we talk about the underrepresented groups, is that Startup Canada is really demystifying that term or verb exporter. 
You know, what does it mean to be an exporter? So why do you think Startup Canada has started this program to really change the 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 mindful meaning of this word? That's a great question. And even myself, when I joined Startup Canada, I thought of exporters being a product-based business. You know, I'm shipping a good to the US and selling it there. And exporting can be product-based, it can be service-based, it can be a mix of both. You could be leveraging various e-commerce platforms, you could be leveraging so many different distribution models. And we have never had more tools like the Amazons, like the Shopify's, all of these platforms that also make this quite easy from a, a you know setting up kind of standpoint and giving all those resources right away. So there's never been almost an easier time to export, but there is a lot that you need to understand throughout this process. And I think many founders, especially when looking to the US, it seems so geographically close. Cultures are similar. Um, Consumer habits are comparable. You know, there's so many different essential ingredients that are there. But if you look at um, you know, the trade tariffs or different trade agreements that we have in place, supply chains in general, and how interconnected they are. There are so many complexities that founders often don't think about when they enter into what is a very risky space in exporting and what will cost them a lot of time and energy if they shift, you know, in the wrong direction, leveraging the wrong tool. So my passion in this program is not to be an export expert. It's really to squeeze more juice out of the existing lemons that we have through the federal government, that we have through crown corporations, financial institutions, powerhouse private sector stakeholders. They've got great resources and advisory support and staff. How does our role as Startup Canada sort of bridge that role between entrepreneur and support entity and make it more efficient? That is what I live and breathe. It's you know connecting these dots to make things easier and more efficient so that we're not making the same mistakes over and over and over every time a business is made. So this program is really trying to create that streamline uh, and then also putting cash in founders' pockets. It's very hard to find early stage funding. And so for us, we built a pitch competition as a part of this program that's geared towards you know under 10 employees, under a million in revenue, really in that infancy, um, trying to allocate about $70,000 worth of funding each year so that you can use that on any part of your business. You could use it in it. You could use it for childcare if you're a working parent and need to support your business that way, whatever that looks like. Um, we're trying to get some funding also into the founder's hands. Amazing. And I love that because we know that access to financial capital is the number one barrier for women entrepreneurs. So they have that barrier even starting and just working in Canada or within their own province or within their own city. And now there's some funding available to help them grow their business, do the exporting. And then we hear this term, Kayla, called, you know, I'm going global. Right. So what does this mean? Does this mean I have to start exporting to X number of countries before I'm considered going global? Is it one one country? Like, What does this term even mean? It's your first sale in a different country. Really, in my mind, I don't know if that's sort of the formal term. I was reflecting on this myself. Um, But I think it's it can be daunting to think that you need to, you know, tackle the entire EU and the US and understand all of Asia and Africa. You know, the world is a big place. It's complicated. And we would be doing a disservice to founders as well to say, spread all of those seeds across the entire world, because that is not the strategy that is going to help you, especially when you're navigating complicated export environments. Um, so being thoughtful and strategic around where you're actually going to be successful, where your potential customers are, 
um, where it is easy to export as well. You know, there, there are different regulations that change very regularly, um, depending on different political leadership and, you know, things politically get very, uh, heated <laughs> across the world for all different kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. And that will have an impact on your business. So going global to me is really making that first sale in a country that is not your domestic, you know, residence. Um, but it's really that one it also doesn't have to be creating, you know, 10,000 products sold in, in a specific region. Let's start small. I love that. So I think that's a great segue into our top five tips because we've defined, okay, what is an exporter? An exporter means you're providing goods or services or both to another country. And going global doesn't have to mean world domination. Let's make first sale. So let's get into your five tips on, you know, how entrepreneurs can understand that their business is ready to go global. So let's hear your first tip. Amazing. So first tip, are you going to be able to keep up with this growing demand? Let's let's position ourselves aspirationally and in a, a world where you are ridiculously successful going and going to the US, let's say. Um, let's, you know, manifest that type of energy. It could be the right time, you know, to really go global once you've proven that there's the domestic demand, you have this great product, you've got a solid customer base, but to consider that potential growth and that capacity to handle it if you are expanding into a new market, uh, that's in terms of staff. That's in terms of financing, um, that's having processes and systems in place. You can't overlook just the simplicity of having solid processes within your organization. And are you ultimately going to meet those, those additional demands as they continue to grow? So let's say you're, you know, we're, we're manifesting that great success, making sure you're going to be able to scale all of those different elements internally to meet that demand. Because the worst thing you would do is not be able to, you know, meet those orders um, and have to pause because you haven't sort of coordinated all those different logistics at the beginning. So where would a good place to start? Where would an entrepreneur start if they said, okay, how do I know if I can handle the demand? First of all, how do I know what the demand is and how do I know if I can handle it? Where do they start? There you go. Start with what is the demand and make sure that there is that market research. Um, partners like Export Development Canada, uh, we work with Google as well with their market finder tool. Um, there are a lot of aggregators that will essentially give you information based on specific countries, what the consumers are like, what types of products they might be looking at. And we've become very sophisticated within the private sector to gather that data based on what people are Googling, what types of products are people buying during a pandemic versus coming out of one. We have this richness of data. Um, and a lot of that is available through trusted sources. So I'd recommend EDC and Google, especially for that market segmentation. Amazing. And great tips over at EDC to assess that market research to understand the demand. So let's get into your second tip. Are you prepared for the legal and financial implications of going global? This is huge. And often, um, antithetical to some of the entrepreneurial tendencies that we have to, you know, go before you're ready, just start, you know, yes, all those things exist in entrepreneurship, but this is high stakes, right? You're investing a lot of energy, a lot of time, and there is a lot of risk involved when you're going into new markets. Um, So are you truly prepared with a legal partner, understanding the financial implications of going global and having a concrete strategy in front of you that you are going to follow down this journey? Um, The financial risks of funding an international strategy in that inception is one thing to consider. And then also having the capital and resources to continue that investment, to sustain that growth, 
Um, and, you know, some additional financing in case things go wrong, in case, you know, packaging gets complicated. We've had founders navigate trademark issues that they were not even anticipating having to rebrand all of their products because of an international country's trademark regulations. And uh, they had to essentially spend a tremendous amount of money to do that rebrand. All of these things you can get ahead of. Having trusted advisors and legal experts to help you navigate through this is also incredibly important. Um, for this, I would recommend the Forum for International Trade Training, FIT. They have what they call CITPs, um, and they are essentially, uh, many of them are legal advisors, experts, um, and folks that you can talk to who know this space. They know who to connect you with. Um, they can provide some really trusted advice. And the key thing here is really, you know, you're you're exporting for the first time. Leverage the insights of people that have seen founders export many, many, many times across so many different industries. They're going to be able to share lessons learned, blank spots that you might not be anticipating, um, and save you time and money moving forward. I totally appreciate it. it's an investment to you know pay legal counsel and to you know go down this path, but it's going to serve you so much better having that solid foundation. One hundred percent. Now you mentioned Forum for International Trade Fit. Is that a free service or is that a paid service? So they have a mix of both. Um, so you can do uh, workshops and formal trainings. They have their advisors, um, but their website essentially has a list of all the different offerings that you have. You can also get formal training. So you can yourself become a CITP if you would like. And we've seen a lot of founders who are looking if they really want to increase that credibility, increase that reputation, potentially going to investors or really scaling globally, having that credential has also really helped them in that scale. So another certification to consider. Amazing. And the certification was, you said the acronym CIT. What is that? CITP, the Certified International Trade Professional, I believe. CITP. Yeah. And I so appreciate that you brought up the importance of having strong advisors because the legal advice is one key piece. And as a chartered professional accountant, looking at the at the tax implications. So in Canada, we have our, our sales tax being GST, PST, HST. When you start you know, working in those other jurisdictions, what sort of sales and use tax implications are there? In the United States alone, I believe there's somewhere upwards of 17,000 different tax jurisdictions. So understanding the tax implications of going global, because it's so much easier to get it right from the start as opposed to trying to unravel something that you didn't intend to do in the first place. So, so appreciate that you brought up the advisors. Okay. And this is complicated. Like listeners do not feel guilty that you don't know 17,000 tax laws in the US. <laughs> that's, you know, that's okay. That's why we have people with this niche subject matter expertise. So I think also getting over that kind of hurdle of thinking, oh, you know, I need to do this myself or I need to be this expert. Let's, you know, abandon those, those philosophies that aren't going to serve us. And let's leverage the true insights and perspectives of those that have been there and who can really provide that direction. I can't express how important that is and how much I appreciate you bringing that up because you're absolutely right. Especially as, you know, startups, even founders a few years in business, we know that money can be tight and we have, you know, a certain amount of resources that we can do, but the importance of doing this is going to save you so much time, energy, and money in the future. So you're absolutely right. You are an expert in your business, not the different tax jurisdictions across the country. So thank you for, for clarifying that and the importance of it because I don't know the 17,000 tax jurisdictions. No, nor do I really want to. <laughs> Got other things on my mind. <laughs> 
Okay, so tip number two, the importance of legal and financial support. So let's talk about your tip number three. Competition. Can you compete in international markets? So let's say you have an incredible product or service, you've really saturated what is quite a small Canadian market. So it's often, you know, you might saturate Canada quite quickly based on the number of people and consumers that you can um, attract. You might also have interest in your product or service, um, you know, in Canada, maybe going down. Maybe your product is not something that people buy over and over again. You need to be looking elsewhere to find net new customers. This is where you start your research to find that new market. So leveraging folks like EDC, the you know market finder through Google, leveraging all these great people. Um, and you are going to try to find where you are going to be able to be most competitive based on where your customers are going to be. You know, this is Entrepreneurship 101, exporting or not. So some companies are thinking globally because of these market opportunities from day one. They know that there's going to be incredible demand. We've seen this with some of our founders through the pitch competition. For example, uh, we worked with an organization called Arbor, um, and they are essentially scalp sunscreen for those that are in hot climates. So think Australia, think you know across Asia, South America, et cetera, because often there, I guess there's a very strong um, skin cancer rate from scalp uh, sun damage versus just you know where you put your sunscreen. They knew Australia was going to be one of their massive target markets right from the beginning. They were already thinking global from day one. So they had found their customers. They had built that base, even though they were a Canadian established company. That may be the, the case for you. So when you're thinking about all of these different international markets, you're thinking about your customers, um, you're thinking around the competitors as well, and we'll talk more about that a little bit too, to see who else is in that space, um, who could you be not mimicking or sort of emulating, but who could you be getting inspiration from? And can you truly, not necessarily even saturate, but penetrate what might be a massive market? Think the US. If you are a beauty-based business trying to compete in the US, you have a lot of competition. What is going to be your unique value proposition that is going to make you stand out in the US? And acknowledging what it's going to take to also get you there. What rooms do you have to be in with your competitors to show that unique value prop? Um, how are you going to market yourself either, you know, in in-person, you know, uh, trade shows or online in, you know, online paid marketing? All of those tactics will be dependent on who your customers are and where they are going to find you. Um, so really thinking through, can you truly compete in that international market is my recommendation number three. Amazing. And so important, again, just tying it back into number one, can you handle the demand? A part of that market research will be done. So now let's expand it. Is that is that market there? Who are your competitors? And maybe the US isn't the greatest place to start, right? Let's go somewhere. Sure. And then I think as Canadians, we often we often see um, in the U.S. because it's right here and that's where we should be doing business. But I think the other thing along with um, can you compete is also with respect to logistics, just even mm. the shipping and transportation. I mean, during the pandemic, this was a significant issue for many companies. So just thinking about that, what are alternatives if something goes wrong with the logistics of shipping your products back and forth? So great tip. Love yes. that one. And yeah, and then that was daunting. That was it. That was probably, you know, the startup global program. It was helping people navigate supply chains and logistics. Like it, uh, that was a very challenging time. And it still is very expensive. In Canada, that is a major cost barrier. Uh, we work with UPS. So any founder that comes to us gets 50% off their UPS shipping. That's a huge cost saving for any founder. Uh, but acknowledge this as a part of your overall cost. 
if you're shipping to Australia versus shipping to Maine, those are going to be two very different, uh, you know, business paths that you're going to need to figure things out with. Did you say 50% off, five, 0% off? Zero. Yeah. Come on over. We've got great discounts with UPS. <laughs> that is amazing. I, yeah, for sure. And uh, for the entrepreneurs out there who are shipping, reach out to Startup Canada because that's a significant savings. Amazing. Okay. That was tip. We were at tip number three. Let's talk about tip number four. What do you have for tip number four? So tip number four is, you know, in any any entrepreneurship venture that, that you're starting, it's focusing on your team. Do you have the right team in place? Um, and this is not only, you know, the core skill sets that you're hiring for and running your type of business, but when you're looking into a global market, what are going to be the essentials of this qualified team that's going to bring you to that, that market? Um, so that could be in your you know home country, that could be Canadians that you're hiring, um, or that could be internationally. What roles might you not need to be looking for internationally, either with paid full time staff, contractors, partners, um, you know whatever that that sort of stakeholder looks like. Um, what roles will you need to be developing as you are trying to deliver your product to those new, new customers? How are you going to market? How are you really developing this company presence abroad in those those spaces? Um, this could be also covering things like global research and development partnerships. We talked about the amount of time that it takes to do this research. That may not be under the CEO's umbrella. It might be at the very beginning, but as you grow, um, you're going to need to hire those folks that are going to be able to understand that global space. Could be folks as well that are participating in formal programming. Um, there are programs like the Trade Accelerator Program, um, other initiatives through Export Development Canada in partnership with folks like Coralis as well. I think they've got about 15 ventures going through a formal program right now. Um, who on your team is going to be able to dedicate that time and energy to go through those programs? That might be the founder. That might be you know a second in command. Whoever that is, um, building out that as roles and responsibilities. In terms of visiting target markets as well to understand the customs, the cultures, the client expectations, a lot of exporting is also relationship management. So who is the person on your team with that skill set um, who's going to enjoy going to these various sessions and really singing the praises of this, this organization and being a champion for the brand and for the product? Um, and then who's managing your logistics internally? This is very complicated from a process standpoint. So who is that operational, detail-oriented uh, person who's going to build that solid, scalable system for your staff to help manage product um, and help you oversee the overall operations? Again, for startups, this may be all one person. <laughs> we acknowledge sometimes that is the case. But as you grow... That cannot be one person, right? We need to start thinking about that evolution. Um, and so making sure you have that right team in place, contractors, legal support, et cetera. I think of that being your team. Um, and you can get a lot of free advisory support through many of these organizations that I've spoken to before. They can also guide you in the right direction to see where should that initial investment go? Is it a marketing play? Is it an ops play? Is it somebody to manage you know, a different part of the business while you can manage the export? Um, there can also be some great advice advisors to give you some perspective on that. I appreciate that you brought up, you know, that this could be one person at the start, but we need to grow because I think you threw out a stat that, you know, just under 20% of the people going through the startup global, global program were sole proprietors. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have, so I'm a, I'm a sole proprietor out there. I'm listening to you say all these people that I need and I'm <laughs> going, I can't do this, but there are resources out there. So my question to you is, 
for the solo entrepreneurs out there listening, how important is awareness of their strength, the self-awareness of their own strengths when it comes into assessing this going global and the ability to uh, work through the team that you need in place? I think I wouldn't actually think it's that different navigating export or just navigating your own leadership of a company. It's, you know, that deep self-reflection is something that we all have to do. I myself as a leader of a nonprofit, you know, that that doesn't export per se, but that has a global presence. Um, I've had to navigate that very thoughtfully, lots of wins, lots of losses, and you know, in in um being ruthlessly honest with yourself around what is truly a skill set of yours and what you may be trying to do because you have to, that you would be better served to delegate to somebody else. And then, you know, having that liberated brain space and, you know, the frustration that comes with that, that there's only so much money, there's only so much time to train someone to be able to do that. This is complicated. Um, And often those first few hires can be very challenging for founders because it's overwhelming to, you know, give some of that responsibility to others when you know you might be able to do it the best. You know, that that kind of toxic narrative we all have in our brains that we can do it better than anyone else. Uh, But I think that's a founder challenge, not so much an exporting one. A great point. And it is, it's that delegation. We all know that we should delegate, but it's that notion of, well, I can just do it quicker myself as opposed to delegating, but understanding that once you have that team in place, and again, there's so many free resources out there right now, but if you were to say, you know what, there's some key people that you need on your team before you even think about doing this, do you have two or three key players that you would have on your team? I I would say if you are entering into like let's let's have a product based example you're trying to penetrate into a competitive market like let's say a beauty brand that I'm sort of mentioning before um I would look at marketing communications and logistics would probably be my two um the relationship management I know that's a skill set that I would have myself so maybe I would sort of be that that go to um but you're going to be you're going to really need to pierce through the noise very creatively as an early stage beauty brand amongst many others um, and understanding packaging, logistics, product, where these things are going to be moving and with what essential ingredients, the regulation around that as well, somebody who understands all that nitty gritty, that would be something that I would find very heavy for myself to take on in addition to the relationship building. So Marcom and logistics would probably be my my advice. And I would always add on the legal and accounting. And legal is obvious. Legal is always on the side for me. Legal is, yeah, we we need our lawyers, (laughs) as expensive as they are. (laughs) You know, the possibility of hiring people outside of Canada, right? That poses additional tax complications because payroll is different in each country. So again, making sure that you're setting yourself up for success and having those conversations in advance with the right advisor. So agree on all of those. Love that. All right. So we've talked about the team. That was number four. Your last tip on whether or not you're ready, understanding if you're ready to go global. So this is, again, kind of sweeping to all entrepreneurs, but especially when you're focusing on export, do you have the right tools and the actual support ecosystem around you to succeed in exporting? Um, And I say this not only because it's the right thing to do, but because it is available and it is out there for you 
Often these programs are free. Um, you know, the trade commissioner service, those are your taxpayer dollars going into these programs. They are there to help you. Um, so reaching out to folks like the trade commissioner service, they have folks around the entire country. I was literally talking to one of our founders this morning, the founder of Ellie Bianca, an incredible beauty brand. Actually, that's probably why I'm focusing so much on beauty. And she says on vacation, wherever she goes around the world, she finds the trade commissioner uh, that is residing in that country. And she says, hi. That's helped her, you know, navigate this whole global expansion. So these are friends. These are people that want to help you out. And they're very interesting people as well that you meet along the way. So TCS, Export Development Canada as well. Although a lot of their funding support helps you at a later stage of business once you've grown to a particular size, they will help you navigate risk. They will help you understand market segmentation. They have advisors. They will have capital um, at different stages. And they have a tremendous amount of expertise in trade and export. They also have a lot of new programming for particular underserved groups. So they have, um, they're doing both research and programming for Black founders, Indigenous founders, women entrepreneurs, um, and they have a significant mandate in helping to improve the stats of, of that export community, so EDC as well. UPS, I've already mentioned, a, a fantastic partner of Startup Canada, but both to reduce your shipping costs and maximize your investment. Um, actually, in the research and development stage has been an interesting space we've been talking to UPS at, uh, with more often lately. When you're building a product-based business, how you design your product will impact how you're able to ship it, which will impact how much money you have to spend on shipping. So let's say you have a very long and narrow product. That's going to cost you a fortune to ship internationally versus something that is in a much more compact space. So these types of learnings, you can talk to somebody at UPS and they can tell you, you know, what are the easiest, cheapest, you know, structures uh, to ship. So definitely recommend reaching out to them as well. There's also formal programs through groups like Mars, um, FIT that I mentioned earlier, uh, the Trade Accelerator Program, our partners at Desjardins as well offer great financial support um, and overall financial literacy. Um, and there's a number of other ecosystem partners that you can access through the Startup Global Portal. So tip number five is use it all. <laughs> you know, Find these people, talk to them about some of your challenges. They've been there before, often through much more compl complicated environments than you can even imagine. Um, and better to invest that time up front, leveraging their expertise than trying to be an export expert because that takes a lot of time and energy. So find the right support ecosystem. Amazing. And I love that you brought up Ellie Bianca because we did have the opportunity to have the founder on our podcast. Uh, last Amazing. Week. Great. Yeah, such a great conversation and such great tips there. So take a listen to that tip. And I love this whole ability, you know, the ability to just grab, gather those resources and implement the tools and supports that you need. Because while we focused a bit on the product-based sector, you know, with logistics, if you're providing services across the border, we still need an understanding of what legal agreements need to be signed, right? How are we delivering, you know, any services if we need to share information? You know, all of these things that, you know, it's sometimes easier if we can meet face-to-face. -face. And that is the one great thing that has come out of the last two and a half years of this pandemic is that we have learned so much how to communicate electronically, um, how to cut our travel costs by, you know, you know, having Zoom meetings, team meetings, whatever that looks like. So finding the tools and reaching out to the connections, people that have already been there. So amazing, amazing tips. Love all of them. Before we get on to sort of the one last item, I just want to go back because you've mentioned the Startup Global website. So I know we're providing a link to uh, the Startup Global program. So can you tell our listeners a little bit what that is and what they'll find there? 
You bet. So Startup Global, um, right now, you'd essentially be able to access a portal of information of all of those partners that I just mentioned. Um, so information from um, the Trade Commissioner Service, templates, international strategy advice, step-by-step guides, discount codes from UPS. All of these different elements are baked into what we call the Startup Global Portal. Um, so that's one space to access. We also have a pitch competition that I mentioned that we run throughout the year. Um, So depending on when you're listening to this episode, if it's fall 2023 uh, and you're in either Calgary or in Brampton, you're more than welcome to come pitch live at one of our events. Um, And that's what uh, comes with funding, access to various advisors and partners, um, and some great promotion through the Startup Canada Network often to you know investors, other folks that are really going to help you build your business. Um, So we have those elements. We've also got free workshops, webinars, um, and almost info sessions where you can meet all of these different um, organizations and figure out what does FIT actually do? Or what are, you know, what is a CITP? What does Export Development Canada do for clean tech businesses? We do lots of different um, programs really to help you understand that scope. Uh, And again, everything is completely available to the earliest aspiring entrepreneur, uh, to somebody who's already successfully, uh, you know, building their business across the country. So come on in. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. So good to clarify. So Startup Canada isn't only for startups. Not at all. I, I mean, we focus more on the early stage business, but when it comes to exporting, you could be an established business for the last 30 years and be starting to export now. So the language is a little bit different there. You're almost a you know an early stage exporter versus an early stage business. But uh, we see a lot of entrepreneurs um, thinking with a global intent earlier in their businesses now um, than they ever have before. Amazing. And accessing the the Startup Canada Global Portal, is it free? Is it a membership fee? How does that work? Totally free. You can hop on in, you give us a piece, couple pieces of information about your business so that we can see the different stats on entrepreneurship year over year. Uh, And it's available 365 days a year. I love that. So after we're done this podcast, everyone head on over to the Startup Canada website. We will share the link in in our uh, show notes, but a good resource tool to have. So we've talked, Kayla, a bit about, you know, some of the funding, some of the resources available. And we talked about it before. Accessing access to financial capital is the number one barrier for women entrepreneurs. So how does Startup Canada help to mitigate or reduce this challenge for women entrepreneurs? So it's really twofold. One, it's practically trying to connect founders to money that is often left actually on the table. So I completely agree. There's not enough money going into women ventures both you know small and large and successfully scaling and very impressive. So on the one side, it is convening and connecting founders to actually a lot of aggregate um, websites or platforms that are solving this problem. Um, one great example is an organization called Pocketed um, that essentially has an inventory of incredible grants and lots of funding that most of our founders will qualify for. They could be hiring grants, they could be for R&D, um, they could be you know various cash credits, whatever that that opportunity that's available, they will essentially feed you different options. There's also another tool called the Business Benefits Finder. That's through the federal government. That does a similar function. You put in some criteria around your business and it will provide you with programs, different financing opportunities, um, and then you can go through there and, and find different funding. On the advocacy side, um, we make a lot of noise around the lack of funding going to women specifically and early stage founders in general. We see a lot of investment going to you know, the fastest racing horses that have demonstrated proof of concept and you know are well-connected, well-resourced, and often are led by the same 
white man, <laughs> sort of that archetype. Um, and so from the advocacy standpoint, we often position many incredible women entrepreneurs um, directly to all levels of government to have them share their experiences. If that's, you know, pitching to various investors, if that's a relationship with a financial institution um, that, you know, could have gone way better as well. There's a lot of room for improvement, not just in the investment space, um, but in every way, everywhere that money enters into our lives. Um, so we do a lot of advocacy in, in that space. All this to say, I am both encouraged and discouraged probably a couple times a day in where we stand with the amount of funding going to women entrepreneurs. But there is a lot of funding on the table in the form of grants, et cetera, that we can access today. Um, and that's often left on the table. So let's start there and continue this, this work and this movement to find more money um, that goes into very scalable, very profitable, and very purposeful businesses led by women. So amazing. And I love the advocacy piece as well, because that's so important. And you shouted out another great organization, Pocketed. We had Brianna and Aria on the podcast this year as well. So if you want to learn more about Pocketed and their amazing team, yeah, head on over to listen to that episode. So um, absolutely amazing. We could chat about this all day, but I know, you know, our listeners, they want to go over to the website. They want to listen to those other podcasts. I'm just going to do a quick recap because you've shared five important indicators to assess if your business is ready to go global. So number one, can you handle that demand? You know, check out the resources over at EDC to see if you can get that market information. The importance of getting the right legal and financial support. Reach out to the lawyers, reach out to the accountants, understanding, do you have all the information you need in order to make that for sale across the border? Can you compete? Is there a space for you in that particular market? Or do you need to assess another market? Remembering that you, the United States is not our only trading partner. We can go outside of our boundaries here. Do you have the right team in place? And for me, the importance of that self-awareness as a solopreneur, or, you know, one or two person shop, where can you get the external resources so that you have the, the space in your mind to focus on the things that are really, really important, right? What you want to do, leave the other stuff, the accounting, the tax, the legalese to somebody that that's what they focus on. Number five, the tools and support. And we will share all of these resources in the show notes because there is so much great information there. But more importantly, head on over to the Startup Global Canada website. Kayla, you've supplied our listeners with so much information. Do you have any parting words of advice or anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to share with our listeners? Just understanding that there's also a challenge of, of too much information sometimes, right? And information overload. And in this process, in entrepreneurship in general, that is a daunting part of this journey is just sifting through so much data and and advice and you know all these different journeys just know that you're not alone in feeling that way at startup canada we're trying to make it a little bit easier and trying to package really really um, great partners and great programs directly to our founders um, but know that take things one step at a time be intentional be focused when it comes to exporting um, and like anything you can't be all things to all people and that applies when you're looking global as well um, try to be very meticulous in what that growth um, is going to look like if that's going to serve you um, and hopefully you can find a great partner to help you along the way Amazing. Such great parting words. I'm going to leave it at that. Where can our listeners, if they would like to reach out to ask you anything, where can they find you? 
check out startupcan.ca. We've got all of our resources there. Um, I've also got my own podcast, the Startup Women Podcast, where we talk about things like exporting, funding, um, all the great stuff that's already covered on your great podcast, Shauna, but just some additional perspectives, probably a lot of crossover as well. Um, so you can listen to a lot of those, those ideas at the Startup Women Podcast um, and check us out on tour. If you're in Calgary or Brampton this fall, come uh, meet us in real life and we'll get you connected to a lot of different sport organizations. I love that. To our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast. And we look forward to you tuning in next week. Have a great week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Finance Cafe podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And to ensure you never miss a new episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on social at the Finance Cafe official or on our website at thefinancecafe.ca. See you again next week for another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast.